Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the program. At this hour, you were excited when you put your apartment on the market and thought it would sell quickly within a couple of days or a week. But weeks have passed and then months. Now it's been sitting on the market for more than 100 days. You are beginning to think what's wrong with it. You're right to be concerned because the longer a listing stays on the market, the harder it is to sell. We will tell you why. Also at this hour, New York is one city where it can be to your advantage to work with a real estate agent or broker. Whether you're buying, selling, or renting an apartment, the market is massive and the competition is fierce. So how do you work around all of that? A good broker will help. We will tell you how to find one. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate here in New York Live. In the news today, the L train shutdown is only eight months away, and more signs of its impact on rents are appearing in Williamsburg. Any new leases of a year or longer now will overlap with the closure of this major subway line and the recently announced pre-shutdown shutdown, which will begin the weekend of August 11th and 12th, which it did, and that will disrupt service between Brooklyn and Manhattan for 15 weekends before the actual shutdown takes effect. More than 400,000 people uh, rely on the L train daily, making it one of the busiest transit lines in the country. How will New York City fare when it shuts down service between Brooklyn and Manhattan? Well, the MTA expects that 225,000 of those riders uh, who take the L train daily from Brooklyn to Manhattan to switch to a combination of alternative subway lines, buses, ferries, and bike lanes. The rest will probably drive. Uh, in other news, Douglas Elliman is still struggling with the new condo development slump. In the second quarter, the brokerage's revenues rose to $205.6 million compared with $198.7 million a year ago, but net income was $5.9 million, falling from $16.1 million last year. That, according to the Vector Group, who owns Douglas Elliman. CEO Howard Lorber said... On the earnings call, we do expect more of that slide uh, that started earlier this quarter. The brokerage sold $7.5 billion worth of real estate during the second quarter, up slightly from $7.2 billion on the second quarter of 17. Lover noted that while the Florida market has been stronger, it's lower margin region than New York City. The place where the bulk of the money is made traditionally has been in New York. In New York, new development sales have traditionally proven profitable for Elliman, but sales have been falling in Manhattan as inventory piles up, and that's every brokerage's problem these days. In the second quarter, the median sale price for a Manhattan apartment uh, saw its fourth straight decline. New development in particular has slumped with a 37% drop in sales volume. The Brady Bunch house may just stay in syndication forever if Disney execs have their way. Discovery, which owns cable network HGTV, was the winner in a bidding war to buy the iconic Brady Bunch home in Studio City, California last week. Discovery beat out Brady Bunch hopeful Lance Bass. The NSYNC singer, uh, NSYNC singer waved bye-bye to his bid. Just a, I felt so bad about that. Who do we can't you tell? I mean, if I couldn't have been on the damn house and he wanted it, he should have it, right? It's like, come on now. Well, the NSYNC singer waved bye-bye to his bid just a day after he... Uh, tweeted that he did he got his bid accepted oh well the listing agent said the home sellers were the children of the late couple who bought it in 1973 for $61,000 
They listed it for $1.89 million. While the amount of the winning bid hasn't been revealed, Bass tweeted that he was heartbroken that a corporate buyer wanted the house at any cost on Tuesday. Wasn't he supposed to go to outer space a few years ago? He's always doing good. He's in outer space. He's in outer space right now. He was sad, though, because he said he didn't want a corporate buyer to buy the house at any cost, because who knows what they do with it. On Tuesday, though, he tweeted that he was pleased that HGTV had won the bidding war, saying kudos to you, HGTV. I know you will do the right thing with the house. That was always my biggest worry. He can now smile. And he will now be featured on the next HGTV episode with the house. <laughs> that might have been his play all along. Well, there you, well, you're a moneymaker, right? But, but Discovery intends to do more you know, future TV series using the house as a backdrop like they did in uh, in the 70s with the Brady Bunch. Oh, my God, that was some house, though. Wasn't it a beautiful house? Anyway, an early 19th century, speaking of houses, an early 19th century house has broken the record for the highest price paid for a townhouse in downtown Manhattan. The house at 37 West 10th Street sold for $37.2 million. This, according to the New York Times, built in the style of the Greek Revival architecture, the townhouse is dated to 1838. The five-story home was sold by British interior designer Rebecca Caldwell and real estate developer Nicholas Dupart. Caldwell and Dupart bought the house for $9.5 million in 2012 and extensively renovated the property. So the 9,800-square-foot house now has six bedrooms, six fireplaces, a home theater, gym, sauna, as well as a deck with an outdoor kitchen on the roof. Nearly pro- Yearly property taxes, though, are nearly $103,000 per year. Yikes. Wow. And I thought I had that problem with one of my sellers on 74th Street, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, rather. $106,000 a year in taxes. I mean, how, I just can't even imagine. Real estate taxes. It's unbelievable. What's the price of the property? Well, you bought it for 17 If we sell it, we want 18 something but that's not going to happen right now, so we have to wait. Yeah. Right. Wow. And we, he's been trying to get the taxes down, but, you know, good luck with that. Anyway, uh, joining us today is uh, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Sean McPeak from Halstead Real Estate, and two special guests, Derek Nowicki from Corcoran Group, and Katie Thurber also from Halstead Real Estate. So good morning to everybody. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Vince. So crazy, wacky market. I want to talk today, though, about the number of homes available for sale on Street Easy has risen sharply over the past three months to a record high. So inventory is robust, okay? Given home shoppers more options to choose from than at any point in the past seven years. So everybody wants to still take us back to 2008, 2009-ish, but let's see what happens. But while more New Yorkers have decided that 2018 is the time to sell, fewer transactions are taking place than in years past. With another wave of New York City home inventory set to hit the market this fall, sellers will be motivated to either meet the terms of interested buyers or cut prices as units linger on the market. The cause of this surge in inventory is still unclear, and it will be months before we know whether the home shopping season will mark a change in the direction of the market or a mere hiccup in New York City's rising prices. But one thing is certain, the trends that have led to this year's high inventory numbers unmistakably favor the buyers. Now, Jordan and I were chatting a little bit, you know, just before we went on the air, <coughs> with <clears throat> how long do you think it's going to take for sellers to actually come up with the right price, lowered prices, reduced prices, to get to where the buyer's expectations are right now today? I mean, you know, who knows how long it can go on? Will it be a year? Will it be a year and a half, two years? Will it be six months? When new inventory comes out in September, October-ish, it's only going to increase the amount of inventory that's on the marketplace. So how 
how quickly <clears throat> do we get these prices down? And how agreeable will the sellers be to do this is really the question. Anybody? Jordan, what were your thoughts earlier? Uh, I mean, I think really, realistically, what we're going to deal with is about 12 to 18 months for accurate pricing to start to really occur, where people don't see this as a blip in the market. They actually see it as the real market. And so once we get that realization, we'll still have this inertial inventory that exists from, you know, the point leading up to now, which won't be priced accurately, which is going to see more and more cuts. I mean, I think the severity of the cuts is going to ramp up significantly uh, within the next year. And then after that, I think we're going to start to have diminished cuts to the point where we actually do have accurate pricing. But I mean, this is the market today and tomorrow and for the foreseeable future, at least until, frankly speaking, which nobody actually wants to talk about, the next presidential election cycle. 2020. 2020. I I don't disagree with, with that, but I do think that there are some sellers who are there now. I think that there actually are some who are in touch with the market. Maybe they bought a long time ago. They're still coming out ahead. Maybe it's not the huge net gain that they were hoping for had planned on one, two years ago, but they're realistic. Um, I think the great majority is with you, and I do think we're mm-hmm. looking at least a year before things really we're, we're putting, we're, It's more the general rule instead of the exception. Like I do have that exception, as do you and some sellers who are like, okay, this is what my property is worth, and I'll still sell it. But by and large, a lot of people are either, if they know what it's actually worth, they're sitting on the sidelines and renting it out, sure, or just waiting for the next robust market. Or praying that they're going to find someone who's going to fall so in love with their beautifully that, furnished and decorated place that they sure, will pay over the well, Isn't that always the way? Somebody renovates right. their kitchen and makes red cabinets because they love red cabinets, and they'll go <laughs> on top of that, and they say, well, I love this. Well, guess what? Buyers don't. So, you know, let's be real. I, I think there's I think there's parts of the market. Um, I read a stat last night uh, that 30% of all properties on the market in Brooklyn Heights have cut their prices. Correct. So it's, only, so it's almost a third of listings have cut their prices this this spring. Yeah, know, and Brooklyn for a long time have been very, very high priced. So um, that's that's a problem. But, you know, I got to give credit to my business partner. You know, he had a very frank conversation with one of our sellers just the other day and we're listing something today, a uh, one bedroom, at the right price as Tracy said before. And so, I mean, this is going to this is gonna sell, I'm hoping, quickly because when it goes out to marketplace, buyers are going to see, all right, so wow, for the first time, there's there may be a one-bedroom uh, apartment out there that's listed correctly. So, Shane, thank you. Um, um, can I just say let's something Let's see how quickly that goes. Since that, I, I actually think that, you know, the word on the street is new development, make an offer, any offer. No totally. one is going to coldly decline to counter your super, quote-unquote, blue-ball offer. I would say, actually, um, you know, toll, about, toll Brothers has, has really increased their presence in the city. And with, with increasing level of quality, they are priced pretty smart with today's market, and they have been pretty aware for a, a new developer. And they did a nationwide sale on all their properties across the entire yes. country this summer as well. Toll Brothers has got, got it going on. They, they really... Finger on the pulse. They, 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 they really do. Whether they're, you know, out in New Jersey, whether they're here, whether they're up around the country, they do have their finger on the pulse. And anybody that I've met who works for that company uh, is pretty sharp. Listen, you know, a lot of people say, why all the doom and gloom? It's not really doom and gloom. We're in a in a pause situation here in New York real Don't estate. But, but, right. But, but by no stretch of the imagination are we over and done and pack up and go home. Good news is that it gives us all an opportunity to turn things around, work smart, focus, and get ourselves prepared for when that, that, that burst happens again. And I'm hoping it's going to be in six months. We'll see where we go with that. But in any event, we have a lot more to talk about. We have to leave it there. Take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back after this break. Don't go away. 
Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Yes. All right, everybody. We are back with Niall Lundgren, Tracy Hammersley, Derek Nowicki, Jordan Shea, Sean McPeak, and Katie Thurber. Full house today. So, you were excited when you put your apartment on the market, as I said at the top of the show, and thought it was going to sell quickly. And here we are talking in the last segment about, you know, the market being a little sluggish. So, you know, you expect it to sell in a days, weeks, a couple of months, maybe. But now you're looking at 100 days for a lot of listings, 100 days or more on the market and not selling. So, the first thing you think about is what's wrong. Is it my apartment? Is it my broker? Is it the, the industry? Is it whatever? You're right to be concerned because the longer a listing stays on the market, the harder it is to sell. But 100 days isn't so bad right now with the average Manhattan apartment staying on between 103 and 110 days. And so what is the first thing people say when they come into an apartment as, as the broker? You're showing up. How many days has been on the market? Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. people look at the counter on all these websites and they're very concerned. So what, you know, what, brokers recommend, yeah, exactly. what do you recommend as brokers to your sellers? Okay, when you go past, you know, I start getting concerned when I'm 30 days past uh, on the market and I don't have what you I call be significant in interest. Though, you should not be. Well, that's a personal thing. Market. Well, you know. <laughs> it used to be, yes. If it wasn't in two weeks that I had a few offers, I was like, what's wrong? Did we not? I start second guessing. Right. Well, Do we need to look at the price? But well, listen, I remember the, the days today. when you would put a listing on the marketplace and you'd have to show up with a stack of offer forms right? because the old sit, the people would sit down <laughs> around the coffee table on the floor in the living room and start writing out offers. Right. And so the seller, the first thing they'd say when you go back is like, I have 13 offers for you to do. Yeah. The first <laughs> question was, was at the ask price. Right? Yeah. And the first question was, well, maybe we underpriced this. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's in a booming market, and I've yeah. been through many, many of those. Can you imagine having to sit down and do an Excel spreadsheet on Monday morning, the day after open house, to present to your seller? Hey, look at all these opportunities. I can dream of that. Yeah, I'm dreaming of that. <laughs> We're going to get that back. It's coming. All right, so what, how do you, what do you recommend to buyers, though, uh, to sellers, rather, when, they, when you're on the market and it's been however many days, weeks, months, 
and they say to you, well, Vince or Tracy or Niall, you know, what's, what's happening? I mean, why are we not selling? Open House, you know, Fritz Friggen from Halstead last week told us all about Open House attendance being kind of zero to, to one or zero to one half a person per, per Open House around the city. So what, you know, what do we tell people to do to maybe get more interest in their apartments uh, on the market listed for, let's say, two months or more? I think it's important to look at the average days on market for that unit and that sub-market you're in. Uh, for instance, Katie and I had something on the market <clears throat> for you know a little over two months. Um, it was really quiet, and we looked at the average days on market, and it was about 96 days on market for a one-bedroom in Murray Hill co-op. And uh, so we just preach patience, price cuts, and then we retooled the marketing for it. And we did a video. Yeah. We went in and did a video. We cut prices twice, and sure enough, we have an accepted offer this week. Right. Well, I was going to say, because sometimes, and somebody gave me that advice a while ago, I have not done it yet, but I think it makes good sense to update your marketing, meaning maybe take fresh pictures, maybe reorient the way you put the pictures on the internet, certainly cut prices, it was number two here, mm -hmm. if the seller is in agreement, but those two things, obviously, I think are the most important when you're trying to convince a seller, okay. hey, by the way, you know, we're going to rearrange some of the photos, maybe take a few new ones, uh, and certainly cut the price, and maybe we go out as fresh not yeah. necessarily new listing because you've been out there for a while but fresh so when new people are looking it might hit uh you know, some nerves you know vince too when, when i have uh, i just had a one bed that i actually took off the market because the seller's expectations were, were not necessarily in line with where the market was uh one thing that i did was i actually play every week i would just send them the link to this podcast and say it's not, it's not just what we're experiencing, it's what other brokers are actually feeling. Right. Um, and then they would listen to it, and then we'd have a call after. Right. And then say, all right, so based on what you just heard, you know, it's, not, it's not like your property is no. the one that's, that's, that has the problem, or we're doing a poor job marketing. Actually, it's interesting you said that, because somebody called me yesterday, um, a friend, sort of, and said, hey, you know, by the way, can I send a link to your last two shows to mm. somebody because we really got That's into... So good. I think I think the shows have been on, oh, yeah. on so hard recently. Helpful, I mean. Yeah, no, it's, it's been it's super helpful for me just being on the show yeah. for the number of yeah, years that I've been on it. Yeah, yeah just, to, just to hear from other brokers because you're, right? you're operating in isolation for a lot of time. Yeah, you have a couple of friends, but it's always good to hear what other people are experiencing when you Especially see the same companies. thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, okay. I do reach out to listing agents if, if you know, you don't always have other listings in the same building, but that's certainly we something that, yeah, Jordan, I try to, yeah, yeah, we have a, a, two listings that Jordan's especially is priced really well and should go for what it is. Well, you undercut me so badly. Now I've got to reduce price. Okay. I'm not going to do it early in the week like I did last week. No, no, seriously, we try to coordinate our open houses so that it drives traffic. Is this in the same building? building? But it is in the in same, same building, building yeah. yeah. But um, one little trick that not everyone also knows is that if you take the listing off the market for 90 days, which, you know, not every seller right. is in the position to be able to do that, but then it resets the clock on Street Daisy, Street Easy, Day Zero. You can, of course, savvy buyers will still search the listing history, but it sometimes does pop it up to the front of the feed right. or it is when a nice When it comes thing. back as brand new, exactly, yep. and especially if you... You can change price. the picture, the, the price. The other thing I always remember to agents, uh, especially when I was managing for a while, it's like take your seller out to see the competition. If the competition is priced where you think it should be and they're overpriced, take them out to see what is available out there in the marketplace Ask a number that you want them to reduce to, mm. so they can mm -hmm. see what the competition is. They say, "Oh, that's is. actually better than uh, my property." <laughs> and some, in some cases, it's even better than their yeah. property. They at least get an idea of, well, okay, so there are four or five uh, units out there priced under me. Some of them are better than mine. 
but in renovation style, whatever. But that's something that kind of weighs on their mind because, you know, sometimes with certain people, you can sit there and talk all you want. But if they have a number up here in their head, that's what they're thinking about and that's what they're focusing on and it's not going to change their their opinion. Sure, so I we actually did a little bit of like an alternative uh, method here uh, recently. We, we put the unit on for rent as well. And we kind of used the rental interest to push some of these buyers to put in offers. That's exactly. like, listen, none of us want to rent it, yeah. but uh, they, then uh, they actually felt the sense of urgency since there really isn't a sense of urgency on the sales side of the market right now. So right. we actually That's used the, rental, yeah. the hot yeah. rental market to feed into our sales. You know, so we, we talked about revamping the marketing. Tracy mentioned have brokers reach out to each other because it's always good to know what your competition is doing. If you're in the business long enough, we all know everybody. We've been around the you know the block. You should times. want to help each other out. I mean, it only drives traffic. To Absolutely, it. I, I completely believe in brotherhood when it comes to more work yep. in this business. Take new new photos. We talked about that before. Declutter and make some minor updates within the apartment. Sometimes a seller will insist, no, no, no. This is how I live. I need to sell it this way because blah blah. I have kids or I don't. Whatever. But if you declutter and make the place look a little more presentable, that actually happened to me. Years ago, it did not, I mean, it just didn't show well. And so it was a good market. It was not where prices were crazy. It was a good market. It should have sold quickly. Once we decluttered, and it took us five or six weeks to convince them to do it, I think it sold on the first or second open house. So, you know, all of these things are, seem trivial, but, you know, some people just have a block that says, no, 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 this is how I live. This is how I want to present, but that's not the way to do it. Create an event. Right, create an event around you know your your listing. Have an open house, and <laughs> I think we laughed last <laughs> week about baking cupcakes in your open house is not necessarily working in this marketplace. So maybe that's <laughs> a thing to do. I do that. The cookies. The cookies. So it's I, always a good touch. We all still in the oven. We all we all do that great. because when you're working, it smells great. Yeah. Be the cookie lady. Yeah. I sadly don't yeah. have the time to do it anymore. I wish I did because I got buyers that would come back to me one couple even a year later. They remembered me from an. They keep coming to your open houses. Tracy's the one who buys the cookies or bakes the cookies. Or when you're sitting in these empty open houses, there's nothing to do but eat them yourself, which is. Oh yeah. That could be a problem. Offer concessions. How many people like, especially in co-ops, where the maintenance is very high, right? We've you get your sellers before. to pay three months of right. maintenance up front, six months. In some cases, I saw recently a whole year. A seller was paying a whole year's worth of uh, maintenance in a co-op for sellers priced right, but buyers coming through might have said, well, you know, the maintenance is kind of high. My monthly is a little crazy. I can't do that. So come up with some concessions, potentially, if you can. Oh, one trick with the concession thing, that for someone to actually see that, they have to read the listing description. Unless. Right. But and we hope that people that's how I get a price reduction. And that's what I've been doing now is saying this maintenance that you're gonna throw in for a year, why don't we just reduce the price by that? Right. Yeah. And price it just price. makes sense. And I said because no one's gonna see that value add just in text because people don't read anymore. Or actually and Jordan, where I actually thought that is very smart. Where I actually thought you were going with that is sometimes I've seen people and have actually done this myself amortize the maintenance out. You have to be very clear and again make sure you state it because you're right, not everyone reads, but in bold letters. The maintenance Old listed letters. is amortized, right. including the year's free concession or that right. kind of thing, but I, I that drops a, it. I had one that had um, an assessment that only went for about six months. So I listed it with the, the maintenance that was without the assessment, but in the, in the copy said that the owner would be paying whatever the remaining oh, was. Oh, yeah. So the then whoever yeah. the buyer was for the assessment, right. So the buyer wasn't, wasn't freaked out 
by it being 1700 instead of 1400 Right. So, and, and that's a big difference. Absolutely. So people yeah. who, and people who are searching say, and looking okay. at a price point and looking at a maintenance, they look at those, the correlation. That's actually a good two. point because a, a lot of people are very Absolutely. fixed on maintenance price. So to have that is uh, Well, especially first-time buyers, so right? The so one-bedrooms, some small two-bedrooms, they're first-time sure. buyers. You know, they're kind of like stretching yeah. you know, their budget. So when they see a maintenance that could be $300 less, you know, $300 every month to a it's first-time a buyer is a lot right. of money. If they know it's only so, for six months and they're not paying it, then, right. they, then they feel a little bit better. And the and the elevators have been replaced, and the lobby's been redone, so those are all big positives. They're reaching right. benefits right. of the assessment exactly. they didn't Absolutely. have to pay for. Tracy mentioned it before, take it off the market. You know, we have a, a counter system here in one of our one of our um, uh, websites, and so you take it off for uh, 90 days, I think it is, right? It's so you take days. it off 90 days, you refresh however you need to do, you put it back on the market, and uh, hopefully you're ready to go. The other thing, and Jordan said this too, rent it out. We'll wait for a better market. And I had this conversation, Now I mentioned it before, just two weeks ago, we took uh, two one-bedrooms off the market. I said... Mm-hmm. Either you rent them, one said yes, one said no, the other one said I'll just wait it out. It's a pied de for him anyway. It's not like he's got a gun to his head. When the market turns, hopefully he'll call back and say, let's put it back on the marketplace. But at the end of the day, if it's not moving, you got to do something. Yeah, I was just going to say, just by speaking um, on this show about what, what Sean said about the, uh, the rental, you know, having the rent on for sale and for rent and kind of creating that urgency. So we were discussing uh, to, when I took my one bet off, as you were just talking about, what, what to do next step, you know, 30, 60, 90 days down the line. And what, what we decided to do is just obviously play it by ear. But what, what I really like is the idea of putting it on for sale and for rent. We toss around the idea of just renting it. Um, it's a co-op on 18th Street. Absolutely. But having, having, yeah, hope, having it on as both, I think is something I learned right now. I'm like, wow, that's probably what I'm going to do in a couple months. So it's a great idea, Sean. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Vince, these concessions all can help. But even like the decluttering or the restaging or that kind of thing, it's not going to get people in the door. They don't discover that till they actually walk in. At the end of the day, you're marking to be spot on. You can do old school, reach out to fellow brokers or your own direct uh, pool of, of customers. It's price. It comes down to price in this very... Price-sensitive market, very savvy, educated buyers. They can see if you're priced right, things do move. Anna Khan was mentioning that last week. Absolutely. All right, we have to leave it there. We're live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Uh, We will continue on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. 
right, everybody, we are back, and we want to talk about the South Florida marketplace because it has a direct impact on the New York marketplace. The tax overhaul is fueling a luxury home boom in Florida versus in our you know boroughs here in New York, or, or rather our, our vacation spots here. Prices for luxury apartments in the state uh, climbed 16% in the second quarter versus a year earlier. That, according to Bloomberg News, and values for the top 5% of properties rose at the fastest pace in five years, even as prices in the rest of Florida market increased only 7%. The trigger is tax reform, real estate executives told Bloomberg News. They're telling me flat out, I made the move because of taxes. The implications are hugely significant if you are a high-income earner. And, of course, there's no Florida tax, a state tax. Wealthy out-of-state buyers have been flocking to South Florida with plans to establish residency to avoid shelling out money to the government as a result of last year's tax reform. They're often from states like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, and Illinois, places with state income taxes as high as 13.3%. Meanwhile, Florida, as I just said, has no state income tax. Tracy, what, what as, as a real estate agent in New York and South Florida, what, what's going on down there these days? It is absolutely just what you've said, Vince. It's been really kind of unprecedented given the the track record for the past couple of years. The second quarter reports are in, and um, it is pretty much booming. Um, There's still a lot of inventory. They're drowning in inventory. New development there, even more so than here in the north. Um, You know, uh, Brickell downtown, they're building these 400 to 600 unit condos that are just begging for people to come in. But the home sales, especially Palm Beach, has had record prices and sales um, over the last three years. Miami Beach is booming. Um, but there is still a lot of inventory. There are tons of deals. There was a little spike in January when people first kind of started thinking about the implications of the taxes. But as we have talked about before, people's CPAs are just now figuring it out. By the time we come around to tax year 2018 is when people really have this kind of soaking in. But, um, for example, my business partners down in Miami, who are some of our top producers at Douglas Elements, Lincoln Road office, they're also the sales directors for the latest Jean Novell development, um, the JDS uh, down there, and they have actually, they just sold Terrace. Uh, not Terrace, exactly. It's, Thank it's, you. Awesome it's beautiful. It is yeah. stunning. Yeah, it is gorgeous. On that. It really it is. It is truly yeah, amazing really is. and a special property. It would be going for twice the money were it here in, mm-hmm. in New York City. Um, and my partners actually just sold a, a $6.15 million non-penthouse unit, um, beautiful water views um, at the asking price of, um, which, which is 1912 a square foot. So that's from someone, I believe it was Poland's richest person. <laughs> that's, that, that's pretty aggressive for yeah. South Florida. Though, right? right? But, yeah. It is high-quality product. That's, so a, that's, a very, that's a very interesting product because of the views and the way it's positioned exactly. in the water. Exactly. It's so. right in South Beach. It's, it's a beautiful location. Yeah. But, you know, for a while, in 2008, 2009, I've been a broker there since 2005, I had a lot of people from New York, from Canada, from different parts of the states looking for what can I get for under 200000 And there were tons of things. Then, and then that dried up. And now we are back again that there are just, you know, 250 and under, you can, no. you're spoiled for choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can get a beautiful two-bedroom on the water for under half a million dollars, but, you know, you, it would be hard to get a studio in a decent building in a nice neighborhood. So it was interesting, though, that, that you say that okay. inventory is still piling up there. Inventory is still piling up there, but yet sales are robust for the most part. Well, relatively to- speaking, because they've been so slow and stagnant for the past couple of years. It really was, this was a much-needed kick with the income tax reform. Right. So projections for the rest of the year. As we do, we, 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 we here in New York City can't project right now. So what are the projections for South Florida, the Miami area, sure. right now for the rest of the year? I mean, we can only really talk about increments of a couple of months these days. Sure. Let's take it to the end of the year. 
I mean, all of this from what is is, is traditionally the, the down market season. We don't really count on Latin America so much anymore because the dollar has gone right. stronger. Right. So, you know, it used to be that summer was the winter. So we saw a lot of that from Latin America. That has lessened slightly um, over the past few years. And, um, you know, we're hoping to encourage a little more Chinese and Russian investment. But um, I think, you know, typically you get to November, December, and then for the following months after that through March, April, it's really the high season in Miami. So I am hoping that this is going to continue to pick up steam um, and continue to grow, but I don't know my real estate crystal ball. Well, we here in New York have what another two weeks left to until uh, uh, summer officially ends. Labor right. Day, I cannot believe, is two weeks away. Yeah, my mother reminded me of that of earlier in the day. So back to New York for followers of Manhattan real estate, it would be hard to miss the bumper crop of innovative, eye-catching, and pricey new developments rising. Uh, what seems like daily in Tribeca, but big numbers for New Yorkers may come as a surprise to all of us here and our listeners when they're attached to old-school Yorkville on the Upper East Side, in the city that never falls, uh, fails rather to surprise, recent research from City Realty shows that Tribeca and Yorkville, I mean, wow, uh, shows that uh, they are top neighborhoods. <laughs> Not two neighborhoods you usually Top neighborhoods for new development sales uh-huh. these days. There are, of course, reasons for the unlikely pairing at the top, but I'm, my question is, so what's in a neighborhood, right? So train, baby. I, I get... All right. Well, listen, I get Tribeca. I mean, that's been on fire forever. But Yorkville? Second Avenue of Subway. Exactly. And I'm selling something not in Yorkville, but a little lower in your, in where, what, a, what is the, the one in the 60s over there called? I can't remember anymore. I'm, I'm Lennox Hill. Away. What is it? Lennox. Lennox uh, Hill. Thank you. Lennox Hill neighborhood. And, and because of the Q train uh, installation almost two years ago, I mean, my building did really well. And I got to tell you something, if it wasn't for that train, I'd still be, you know, schlepping along there. But so all this new development, why is there more new development there than in other places? I mean, you know, it, it's still a dense part of town, right? The land is cheaper. Exactly. It's all about cost per square yeah, foot to build these thing out. And if you can hit your margins and make your investors there's, there's happy. A lot of, there's so, a lot of companies yeah, that years, years ago. Correct. And they were sitting on sure, their playground. Absolutely. And they just started building 86th out. Street Subway is going to be a new development up on uh, yes. the Upper East Side. It's everywhere. And the good news with those developers, my developer is now building two more buildings after the Claire. One is almost topped out and the next one's going to start next year. However, they bought at a time where the prices were very decent. And so what does that translate to? Price per square foot being very decent, and prices, you know, not as high as everybody else, and that's one of the other reasons why we're able to sell uh, nicely. And I'm hoping that that happens again in the next two buildings that are coming out uh, in the next year or two. So low price, low prices on the land, but but also people, you know, and I have to tell you this too. I lived on the Upper East Side when I first moved to New York City, and I liked it. You know, I used to work downtown on Wall Street, so I'm you, 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 back and forth, whatever. Always hung out downtown, but the Upper East Side was okay, cool. Then I got frustrated with the subway, or lack of, so I moved to the West Side where I am today. I've been working now on the Upper East Side for almost a year and a half again. And i got to tell you something. The train has changed everything. It's brought new life to what I thought was pretty dull. But it's great. I happen to like it up there a lot. Will you be moving up You've been talking about it for a while. I don't, listen, I always say it always comes down to the right apartment on the right street in the right neighborhood for me, and most of our buyers feel the same way. I Honestly, I, with the transportation now, it, I, you know. Big fan, maybe? Yeah, maybe. There's always that tug of war between downtown and uptown, regardless of the west, but... Look, I mean, I'm finding I, I kind of like I smile when I get off the out of the vehicle in the morning and I get over there. It's kind of yeah, nice. cool. Know. 
Boom. That's what it is. <laughs> all right. So to help us all, you know, work through wherever we want to live, it's a city where you can take advantage of a real estate broker or not. Okay. Whether you're buying, selling, or renting an apartment, the market is massive and the competition is fierce. Despite some horror stories, a broker can help narrow your search for the right apartment if you're on the hunt or know how to best position it if you're selling. Okay. But they do come at a cost. Typically, commission of 12 to 15 percent of a year's rent for rents, or usually six percent of the sales uh, price if you're buying. New York City has 14,000 plus licensed real estate brokers. We could lose half of them, and more than 18,000 agents in Manhattan alone. So, my question to all of us is: How do you find a good broker? You put yourself in the buyer's seat, right? How do you, or a seller? How do you find a good broker? If you've never worked with one before, let's be hypothetical here. So you never worked with one before. How do you find a good broker to represent your sale or you as a buyer going out there in, you know, what people call the concrete jungle of Manhattan or New York City, anywhere? You start by asking your friends who they worked with, who they had a good experience or a not so good experience. Uh, mm-hmm. You do some Google searches. I've had people who just, you know, knew the, the Douglas Elliman brand name. So they came to the website and they started looking, oh, who has listings in my neighborhood? Yeah. Um, you know, people are very active online just to check out, you know doing the research on what your bio is, what your testimonials are, that kind of thing. But I think it starts asking friends. Yeah, it's the same as, let's say, finding a doctor. You know, your real estate broker is representing your best interest. uh, So you want to make sure that person is well-versed and respected in the community and knows what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've all we've all seen as brokers in this industry, we've seen good and bad, yeah. and that's why when I ingest, say, we can lose half of the the agents out there on the street, you know, <laughs> maybe in three quarters, oh, maybe <laughs> three quarters, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, you have to kind of figure out, and and also the other thing too is if you live in a building that's either a co-op or a condo, there's probably a building specialist, right? So there's probably somebody who's been working in that building for many years. I happen to be one in in one building on the west side, so what? How do they compete with someone else on the outside? You've never worked with a broker before, but yet you get this mailing from this Vince Rocco all the time, and it's like, my God, one, one, I must more, work with him. one more postcard. Well, I must work with him, or he's a pain in my you-know-what, so maybe I'll go and find somebody else. How, how do you compare, or maybe who would be better in that particular scenario? I mean, I've, I've, I've done it. I mean, I've, we've pitched uh, sellers where you know they were considering a building specialist, and we just went through the data of the building and in a particular co-op. On the east side, we we found that this uh, broker was actually underselling the building just to have quick transactions. That happens, yes, and it does. It was always a record time, record time, but never a record price. And this is an uh, increasing market, and a very healthy market. So we my question to, to you, Sean, on that one is because I've seen that before, also. So why then do future sellers look at that person and say, "Okay, I'm hiring you." when maybe they feel like they're not getting the best price for the building or for each individual seller? Why would they continue to go with that person? The, the building specialist? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, well, for instance, we just had one that, you know, they just felt obligated because they just see them in the elevator every day and they just think it's going to be awkward if they don't use them for the buy and the sell side, even though they're not really too high on them as a person yeah. or on their, on their you know, work life. I mean, Brokers, some brokers are very pushy and, and, and they apply pressure and some people are susceptible to that. Very much so. Yeah, well, and that's why sometimes people get reputations that they, they deserve or don't deserve. But, you know, we, we try in the building that we work in, my partner and I, to not to be too aggressive, but we have increased the price per square foot from day one. It was a brand new uh, development when I sold it and then we get all the resales all these years. But our mission has always been, and the board loves it, 
to try and increase the, the price per square foot with every sale that we put on. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. For the most part, it does. And but in questionable markets like like we are today, it's it's a bit of a challenge. So as I was, you know, um, talking about my partner earlier today, uh, with putting something on the market today at a much better price, it might not hit the price per square foot that we want in the building, but we're going to get a sale because at the moment, you know, sales you know make a difference. But it makes. It's a hard decision, you know, Katie said before, like choosing a doctor. I mean, you've got to, you know, get your references. You've got to figure out who can do what. Neighborhood specialists, there are people who only work downtown, and if you ask them to help you buy something on the Upper West Side, maybe they don't know the product well. Maybe they don't know the inventory well. So you've got to kind of sift through that. And then there are the generalists, like I consider myself a generalist. I will go all over. I know everything all over the place, and that's just the way it is. And if I don't, believe me, by the time I go out with that person, I'm going to figure it out and, and be that expert. So. It's all what you put into it, and I think it's your energy and your uh, confidence and your credibility when you do meet somebody for the first time that they like and they connect to, and the rest is, you know, And you should interview, you should talk to, meet with more than one broker. I always encourage that. I like for a a seller especially, or I've had buyers interview me as well, uh, you know, to see that they do feel that it can be a nice synergistic, collaborative working relationship. There's a number of, work with someone who doesn't want to work with me. There's a number of brokers on this show who you can certainly call and, uh, and interview. And I'll say one more quick thing, Vince. I, as a condo owner who I do, I've been blessed with my sister to get a fair amount, not every listing, of course, but we do do a, a large number of sales and rentals in our Chelsea condo. Um, we are always accessible. We provide useful information to our neighbors. We do little online newsletters, latest real estate news in the condo four to six times a year, so not overmuch. Um, but I will say that sometimes in other buildings, not my condo, of course, but there is the resident broker who has maybe just gotten a little soft, lazy, uh, is really not keeping in touch the prices are going to be going up. And that so sometimes you happens. can be fresh blood, and it's good to bring in a different broker than the established broker. All right, we have to leave it there. We're live from Blastoff Productions here in New York. This is Good Morning New York. We will come back for segment four right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-346-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back to segment four. I'm here with Nile Lundgren from Compass, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Derek Nowicki from Corcoran Group, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Sean McPeak, and Katie Thurber from Halstead Real Estate. By the way, they are part of the McPeak and Thurber real estate team at Halstead Eastside office. So say hello. Eastside. HQ. <laughs> anyway, so according to the Wall Street Journal, the MTA has presented data showing the lower New York City mass transit use numbers matched up with an uptick in taxi and ride uh, hailing trips. Even as the city's population grows, Subway and bus ridership has been declining. New York City Transit Executive Vice President Tim Mulligan explained in a pre- presentation last Monday how dips in uh, weekday subway ridership between 2016 and 2017 coincided with the increase in use of taxi and for hire vehicle vehicles like Via and Uber and Lyft. And so, you know, are they are these people taking over? I mean, I can tell you a horrible Via story this morning, but yet, <laughs> do I keep my butt out of a Via car? No. I mean, you know. So the yellow cabs are down, the buses are down, the subways are down, every, and you know by the congestion down the street. And I talk about this because everybody outside of New York City says, what about all these car services that you people run around? And they think we all have tons of money, especially real estate agents, thanks to million-dollar listing and <laughs> et cetera. However, we do use car service. We need to, mm-hmm. right? So are they yeah. taking over, and is our mass transportation system going away? Well, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No, I don't think so. The trans- mass transportation will never go away. No, it's yeah, critical. it's very it's critical. But but you know, I'm there not is getting on a subway, so if that's you know, never in- you never take the subway. Hardly ever. The subway is still the most efficient means of travel. I'm not sure. Absolutely, rush hour. Yeah, the subway is the same depending on where you go. Yeah, depending on the train line. Or time of day, sure. Didn't the city just cap in the? Or you can't put the number of new drivers. Yeah, new drivers. So you can't put any more new drivers on. Thank you, Mr. De Blasio. Whatever. Yes. Ah. Yeah. They they capped it. I don't I don't remember what the cap is, what the number is. Or I don't think you you can put a new car on the road without it being wheelchair uh, accessible. Accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's the worst rule because some of these guys aren't making any money anymore. It's the the, so many of them. Yeah. It's just it's saturated. Well, the taxi medallion used to be worth millions of dollars. It's gone down. To, I think two hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's one fifty actually. Oh, actually one fifty. Yeah. Right. Poor Michael Cohen. Yeah. Hey, well, <laughs> my, my, <laughs> my sentiments exactly. 
We'll leave it right there. Anyway, I still anyway, love the subway. So we say the subway is still uh, right. I, you know, I, I will once in a blue moon get on a bus if I just feel like I want to be entertained. <laughs> I've never taken a bus. Really? <laughs> just leave no, it. I once in a blue moon like I want to be entertained. Go back and move to the other side, Ben. I've never heard from you. Go back and move to the other side. Once in a blue moon. One has nothing to do with the other, George. I hate that. But if I have time, like at the end of the day, and I need to go from where, I'll get on the bus and I'll just sit there. And when, when the like, weather is horrible and that bus shows up, it's like yes. it's a religious experience. Right. But sometimes you can walk faster than the bus, especially the crust. But you want to know what it's like? But in the snow or it's really hot. Park. I mean, you just look at the <laughs> characters that are sitting around you, and it's like it's like funny. You do almost always get a seat, and the people watching is prime. You're correct. Oh yeah, you, and I like to go up in the back, all the way in the back, and sit on the well, side so the I back. can watch everybody <laughs> coming and going out of the. The best is when you get like three, three like wheelchairs they pick up and. But you know, if I at the end of a busy day, I generally never take it in the morning. At the end of the busy day, if I just feel like being amused, I, and, and it's the truth, I just get on the bus and I just go home with a <laughs> smile on my face because of all the ridiculousness I see on the New York City bus system. It's amazing. Anyway, back to serious co-op talk. <laughs> you have a bad <laughs> story and a bus story to tell us after. <laughs> anyway, co-op board retains certain powers, which also comes with responsibilities. One of a co-op board's powers includes approving or rejecting sales on purchases. A board can reject an applicant for virtually any reason, providing it complies with federal, state, and city housing laws. Really? Uh, whatever. This likely means a co-op board can deem your offer is too low and either cause the purchase to fail, fall, uh, uh, though, or force you to reevaluate your offer. You may have an agreement with the seller, but this does not mean that you're going to pass with flying colors. So why then, million dollar question here, why then would a co-op board reject you? I mean, you, you come up with the right price with the seller, you agree. Your mortgage guy says, yes, you got a mortgage. Your broker says your package looks great. It gets presented to the board. All of a sudden, you get a rejection. And so what gives? I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, you could get into the, the interview and you could be confrontational. Um, you know, that's that's one example. Financials might not be where the building wants. Yeah, you, know, they you could, could, they could you. you could have had an ugly divorce. Yeah. Or you could have had something weird that happened in the social past. Media. Oh, yeah, these. Social media. That's another thing, yeah. But they don't have to tell you. Tell you no, and, and, and they don't tell you. According you know, to the report here, they say they have to you know, uh, follow the New York City and state guidelines and whatever, whatever that means, housing rules. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they don't have to tell you. And what I wanted to bring up with that story is, in some cases, if the board feels the price is not high enough, they can and do reject you. Now, right. that's a problem. And sometimes there's a board member who wants to buy that apartment. And decides, you know, okay, I didn't know it was even listed. And then they come out of the fog and they realize, oh, we have a board package and unit XYZ is for sale. But that's the one I wanted because I want to combine with mine. That happens. That has really happened. That happens. It happened to me. With me too, which I'm so sorry. With um, the first scenario that you mentioned, though, Vince, about um, the co-op board not viewing the price being high enough. Sometimes I have heard of situations where they did kind of let that get out and the, the package was resubmitted with the higher price and the buyer who was of course financially acceptable and really wanted the apartment was willing to pay that was able to go through mm-hmm. but yeah. um, sometimes they never tell you that until after and you just find out later well you know and 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 can be it can be problematic because oftentimes you know we get the call then we have to deliver that news to our buyers or our sellers 
And we don't really know what the reason was. And the first question they ask is, well, what happened? And why do they reject? And why this and why that? And I mean, you know. Have you ever had any buyers who went in and did ignored your excellent coaching advice? They asked inappropriate questions. They were financially well qualified, but the, it's really the sniff test with the co-op board meeting at that I point. I had a mother who came in and did not pass the oh, sniff test. She no. came from Seattle, I think, wielding her uh, higher than mad mighty. She wore this big hat. And I said, I think you need to take the hat off. <laughs> and gloves. And she was buying an apartment for her son. And she came in and proceeded to tell the board members that the building was dirty, the lobby was horrible, and why have you Why would we welcome on that? A true story. That's bop, 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 bop. And if I, oh, yeah. you know, if I. What would Lance Bass say? There you go, Jordan. And my son is. Bye, bye, bye. I would get you that way. Okay. Anyway, so they, the, the, the kid failed the board because she said, I want my son to get on board and clean up this building. I would, I, I would decline. I would decline. Absolutely. Why invite yeah. that terror into your building? Oh yeah, clearly. Hat and all, right? Can you imagine? <laughs> terror. <laughs> terror. She got on a broomstick and flew back to Seattle, and the board kid had to go find another. <laughs> you, you had an answer as to why that board town occurred. Well, that yeah, because a board member actually called the listing agent and said, "Who is that lady?" <laughs> You've got to be kidding! And and they they told the listing agent the story because it was right. so bizarre. You know, if it was for other reasons, they didn't have to disclose. But they said, right. she's trouble. She's going to cause all kinds of... The kid was such a sweet kid, right? This is what this is what goes on. But at the end of the day, you know, they can and do reject people for all kinds of reasons, you know, and, and you just don't know. The hardest thing, I think, in this business, and thankfully I only had to do it a couple of times, is to sell your tell your buyer or seller that the deal's not happening. After all that, and the big problem with that is it's like four, with a co-op, it could be four months plus with packages and whatever, and we're in trouble. Anyway, with that said, we're out of time. That's it for me. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guests as usual and the panel. Always remember how wonderful life is while you are in this world. Thank you, Elton, John, and Bernie Taupin. Be kind to one another. See, but I can't sing it like Jordan can. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 